Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening. Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world. This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Because a lot of people are really interested in astrology, I find that astrology has made such a big comeback. And really. It never left. It, it's been underground for a long time. And it's been scoffed at for a long time. When astrology came into my world in 1987, when I lived in New York City, no one was talking about astrology unless you read the Gene Dixon column. In the, in the national newspaper. That was it. And Linda Goodman was brought to my attention and she had written Sun Signs and then Star Signs. Those were in the spiritual world bestsellers. You could, if you were really, if you were studying to be an astrologer, Dane Rudyard were the books that you read or some of the early astrologers before him. That's it. That's what you got. And my brother found, when we lived in New York, he found the Mountain Astrologer magazines. That was it. That was the big thing. And people thought, you know, you were nuts. I mean, that was still at a time when people thought that chiropractic was quackery. So astrology is making a big comeback because when I see it so much on social media, when I see it on IG, when I see it on YouTube, so many astrologers are being taken more seriously. And when your generation, Gen Z, is really becoming very adept with it. And it's just like, oh, I get this. And a lot of that is because you guys are born under Uranus and Aquarius, which is the astrologer. So it's really exciting that I'm in a time when I can speak astrologically to many people in the very basic sense. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, my moon's in Leo. <laughs> like, oh, that's so great that you know that. Yeah, I don't really know much about it. I just know that my moon is in Leo and it totally applies to me. Or, oh, yeah, I had my chart done once. It's in my file or I've, I've got it somewhere. Or people that just happen to have an as- astrology aspects app on their phone and, you know, they look at that. So astrology is, it's a great subject to go into because people are really becoming self-analytical to help themselves to become self-aware. And when they're diving into these different aspects of their personality to get to know more about themselves, since we know the subconscious, yeah, I don't know the exact statistics on this, but I've heard so many different types of statistics on how, what percentage of the decision that the subconscious makes. I've heard, you know, I've heard a lot, but I kind of stick it at 85%. About 85% of our decisions are coming from the subconscious self. And astrology really helps us to dive deep into that. And so people will message me and say, I love when you guys talk about astrology. Like there's several people that are listening to the Diet of the Zodiac, three-part series that we just did. And somebody asked me the other day, you guys need to talk about like, and they gave me a wealth of subjects. And I said, yes. So I picked today astrology 
and relationships, the relationships of the Zodiac, because that's a really good one. And I find that when I throw out like, a, you know, like when I go, well, why I'll take myself, for example, when I am attracted to water signs and I used to wonder why, why am I so attracted to cancer, Scorpio and Pisces when I am born under Gemini, Virgo and a dominance of Capricorn and Aries? Well, then we want to look at the four elements fire, earth, air, and water, because those are the first four elements in order of the first signs, Aries, Taurus, uh, Gemini, and Cancer. And then you look in your chart and you find out what are your dominant elements and what are you missing? I'm missing water. I have a Mercury in Cancer and I have a Neptune in Scorpio and that's it. And the Mercury in Cancer is strong. That's dominant in my chart, but the Neptune in Scorpio is not so strong. One of the reasons why I'm attracted to water signs is because that's an element that I'm missing. And I find that people who are missing one particular element over the others will be attracted in somebody to somebody that has more of that element in them in order to mirror that part of themselves that maybe their ego is challenged in seeing the reflection of a part of themselves they need to work on more. I also find, and this is so true for me, when I finally really learned the flow of the chart wheel years ago, and I was like, oh, I'm Virgo ascendant, my descendant, which always rules your seventh house, the house of partnerships and marriage, is in Pisces. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm always attracted to water signs, because a water, water rules my seventh house. No, I don't have any planets in my seventh house. I don't have any asteroids in my seventh house. It's open. So relationship is not a big emphasis in this life. However, I'm, I'm just like, well, why am I always so attracted to Pisces when it's square, my sun sign? It's opposite my rising sign. It's because Pisces rules my seventh house. And so this is a key of what I've been, I'll point this out to my clients and my yoga students when they ask me, well, what's, what's the best sign for me? What do I always say? What do you know that I say to people when they ask me, what's the best sign for me? Uh, get that out of your head. <laughs> You're not going to focus on a sign. Uh, that's what I would say to somebody. Yeah, well, like, like how do you help people with that? Um, I think that any time that I've ever looked at astrology from a deterministic perspective and and when I say that what I mean is like I'm looking at it from like what should I do or who should I be with etc cetera, etc cetera, it always fails because you're interrupting the flow of universe when you do that because universe is going to give you all of these different you know archetypes it's like if you're you know, if you're an Aries and you're like, oh, I love Gemini, I get along with Gemini so well, like, let me find a Gemini. It's like, okay, maybe they're going to send you a Cancer, you know? It's like, what do you need to learn from Cancer? Oh, I hate Cancer. Cancer is so whiny and needy. Why does the universe keep throwing all these Cancers at me? Stop labeling them. Maybe you'll learn something from them, you know? It's like, that's that's what it comes down to. It's the labeling. This is this is the, the, the shadow of astrology is when people people utilize these labels just like they would utilize personality traits. Just as if you were to say to somebody, oh, you know, you are a A type or a B type personality, et cetera, et cetera. It's like the exact same thing. When you categorize people in that way, you're taking away a core 
gift that is in them for you from God. And that gift is the lesson that they have to give to you. And so what then is astrology very useful for? Well, it can be very helpful if you want to be able to figure out some depth in those gifts. It's just kind of like a language. So it's pretty interesting to learn it. And if you are open to all of these different archetypes, and if you're aware of the fact that you actually are not one or two or even three signs, you're actually all 12 signs. It's just that there are different there are different lessons to learn, which is why actually I think the Vedic system of astrology is is so interesting. It's becoming more and more interesting as time goes on for me because it's less personality based. It's less based in like you are this 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 and you have these traits. It's more like these are the lords of these signs and these lords are gifts from God with 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 quests for you to go out and solve. And that, I find that to be fascinating. Um, but anyway, I guess if we're, if we're going into the, the terms of relationships here, I mean, um, a lot of people will ask, yeah, I guess, is there like a good sign for me? And I would say, just keep yourself open, just keep yourself open to like all possibilities. Um, because most of the time, if you're coming from ego, you are kind of cherry picking aspects of your chart that you really like, or that you really want to look at or focus on. Um, and that can be either intentionally or unintentionally. As we talk about subconscious really makes most of the decisions. And actually, um, your conscious mind is actually behind in time from your subconscious mind, which is why when people are training for survival, they're training their subconscious mind to react first. So they're training instinctively. When you do something instinctively, you don't think about it. It just happens. Like, uh, if you've ever had an instance, I remember I've had instances in my life where I've reacted to something before I even knew what was happening. Um, like I've like, you know, playing like dodgeball as a kid, I like caught a ball before I even knew it was headed my way. You know, that's the subconscious awareness just being present around you the conscious mind only reacts to the subconscious mind and formulates ideas about it and so that's actually the ego the ego is the conscious mind the conscious mind is the thing that's taking ideas about the subconscious mind and turning them into things you know it's turning them into a thing that you can then look at and analyze and judge and observe and so there's room for both of them. And this is why emptiness is the best state of conscious mind, because if you can empty your conscious mind enough to where it's that receptive, then all of the subconscious things that you're naturally just going about, it'll feel like flow. And so you'll just be in this state of flow where you're just receiving from an empty conscious mind and an open and flowing subconscious mind, rather than trying to dampen down or judge the subconscious mind with the conscious mind. Here's what I just heard in my head. Said the Aquarius. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's a bit, a bit of a tangent, but I guess that was where I felt it was necessary Said to go. Said the Aquarius. And you always do make those big Aquarian kind of blanket statements to it is very Aquarius in the 11th house. Your Aquarius stellium always is very amusing, I find. You're, you're going to be hard pressed to get me to like keep on track with like the little details because, because they all circle back to a big concept. They do. And that's so Aquarius of you. Where is my Virgo? is asking my Virgo, my Virgo stellium in the first house with the Virgo rising is always asking for those finely minute details. Moon's in Virgo right now too. <laughs> so it's really stimulating me. But you know, okay, so there's several points in that. And that was, and that was a really good point. There's several points in that. First of all, there are, according to, okay, what I learned originally in the late 1980s, um, through my astrology courses that I took 
is there are three power archetype combos, zodiacal combos. I've asked you this question many times. Do you remember what those three power couples are? Yes. Um, the, there's number one, according to Dane Rudyard, who actually well, number one this. from my memory is Cancer and Scorpio. Yeah, Cancer and Scorpio. Yeah. Like they flow. Yeah. So beautifully, and I would say, like Nana, she's a double Scorpio with Cancer rising, and I would say that observing that in her, like you can observe this in people that are in your life that kind of reflect this. I would say that that has served her really well in learning how to have more empathy for herself and how to dive deeper into herself. She, um, and you wouldn't know this now in her senior years because she has dementia, but when she was younger, she really was on this quest to learn more about her emotional self in this life. That's a big focus for her. And how she can relate to the cosmos through this self-knowledge and she really has she's done that beautifully so i would say that if out of observing that in her with her own inner relationship which is way more important than your external relationship is the inner relationship having that scorpio cancer group within herself has been really really powerful i would say with having and, and those are the two water signs that i have is mercury and cancer and neptune and scorpio it serves me well to really dive deep into my emotions and have more empathy and to be more psychic. But I've noticed that in other people who are like friends, Cancer Scorpio friends and Cancer Scorpio couples. Um, I've definitely observed over the decades that is definitely a really compatible grouping. The second, what's the second one? Aries Gemini. That was that actually Dane Rodger put as the third. Um, but yeah, I mean, that could be the second one. Aries Gemini, that was your father and I. And um, I have I would say that some of my my dearest friends are Aries. Aries, I have I have two really strong friends, and one of them listens to this podcast and just sent me a message last night from her tiny home in uh, just outside of Machu Picchu, Peru, <laughs> Dana. She was like, Oh, I was listening to the podcast and you mentioned me. Yes, Dana, we do mention you. <laughs> but um yeah she's an Aries she's a double Aries sun and, and moon and um then and then my other friend and great client and student Kat who's also a double Aries I really attract sun moon Aries I attract new moon Aries really well and um, I find a lot of power power combinations is definitely that Aries Gemini combo and then what's the third I don't know. Have you forgotten? I I have a fourth that I don't think he would have put, but that I've seen as a power couple in, in my experience. What so is I'm, that one? Pisces Virgo. So that's a third. Oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's actually the second. He put okay. that as second. Uh, yeah. Pisces and Virgo. That's the, that's the wombo combo right there. That is a strong one. That's awesome. That's like the best opposite couple. Yeah. They serve each other in every the, way that they notice need. Notice it's the only opposite that Dane Rudyard. Mm-hmm. Put. There's a reason for that. You see Pisces and Virgo everywhere. They complement each other. 
Virgo is the doer, the cleaner, the the healthy one, the one that's like, let's get healthy. And Pisces is the healer and the one that says, relax, go with the flow. And Virgo yeah. doesn't know how to go with the flow. And, and they're, Pisces well, they're, forces. They're both mutable. So they actually yeah. know how to work together and make sacrifices for each other really they well. Do. So that's that's a really good coupling factor as it is. Virgo can pull Pisces out of addiction. Mm-hmm. And Pisces can pull Virgo out of OCD. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because Pisces will tell Virgo to relax and calm down and just take a breather. Go and, take a bath. Yeah, and Pisces will, Pisces will give Virgo a massage and say nice things to them. Yeah. And, and Virgo will be like, oh, I feel so good around you. <laughs> I feel so good around you. Okay, I can relax. Go, let's go help people get healthy and heal. Yeah. Okay. And I feel like they would do that, that combo, whether you are a sun, if, whether it's a sun Virgo Pisces combo, a rising sign, a moon, or all of the above. Like if one person is a sun in Virgo and the other person's a moon in Pisces, I feel like they would work really, really well together. Um, they would be, they would do amazing opening up a healing center together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or a yoga studio, community wellness Literally center or something like that. anything, as long as it is in, in some way serving the community, I feel like Pisces and Virgo, they come together and they really totally. make it happen, you know? Totally. Whereas the Aries-Gemini combination would do really well um, doing um, an LLC corporation together that's about bringing out knowledge and information to people to better humanity because Gemini will keep will get Aries to follow through and complete and I just feel like they'd be really good with starting something that's about having fun and bringing information to people and bringing in a new vision and bringing people together there they would make a really good combo with that and Cancer and Scorpio is they do really well with actually having a family together and raising a family together. Um, Opening a psychological LLC. Of that's some what sort. I was just going to yeah. say, like some sort of like a like a like a, a psychology place, a psych ward. Um, if two psychologists, Cancer and Scorpios, got together, that would be like a match made in heaven. <laughs> so yeah, like psychologist, psychotherapist, Cancer Scorpio would be excellent. Um, psychotherapy, forensic science, anything in that area or um, something in the judicial system or in social work to actually help to bring change in social work by bringing more empathy and more depth and less about the medical and medicating and more about actually helping people to dive deep and nurturing them through the process. But really, what, whatever they do, the reason why Cancer and Scorpio like get along so well is because they are really willing to go deep 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 into it yeah. and so it's that it's that willingness for depth you know scorpio as as we've said before is the forensic scientist they're the one who's gonna like scorpio is an interesting fixed sign because they are fixed but they're like a drill that always goes in the direction that they want to like get to so they'll always go for the and they're ruled by mars so it yeah. makes sense because mars yeah. is the doer and Absolutely. mars is gonna go and get it 
And yeah. so it's the same with Scorpio. No matter what pursuit it is that they're yeah. pursuing, they're going to drill for it and go and go oh, and go and go and go. they're going to dive deep down into the guts. Yeah. That could be just something that they want to get at that's in your psyche, or it could be something they want to get at in their psyche, or it could be something in the physical world that they want to do. It could be an aspiration. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, that's just Scorpio whenever they apply themselves to something. Oh, yeah. And for Cancer, Cancer is a well of emotions. Cancer can't get away from them. So Cancer is always going to be surrounded by its own emotional waters the at all sensitivity. times. So there's endlessness there for Scorpio to dive into. And Cancer will love that because Cancer loves diving into the emotions with them. Right. And Scorpio will protect Cancer when Cancer mm-hmm. feels like it's vulnerable, sure. when it feels like it's too sensitive. Scorpio understands this and empathizes and can bring some protection. Scorpio, there's that Mars protection Scorpio as well. Scorpio will also appreciate Cancer's honesty with their emotions. Absolutely. Because Cancer does have a lot of emotional integrity uh, just on its own by itself cancer is a very like that is it raw emotion yeah so you see for example like uh, a common trope in cancer men is like the big tough boxer guy who is like kind of a little boy and he wears his emotions on his sleeve and it's gotten him into this place where he's like trying to compete in this world of men, but really he's just like kind of soft and like playful oh, yeah. and caring. And like, it's, it's that raw honesty and everyone really respects the raw honesty, but they also respect how much hard work this guy has put into just trying to get good at something and trying to like compete. Isn't that interesting? Know? Actually, how many people who are heavyweight boxers, middleweight yeah. or lightweight or one who plays them like, um, Rocky Balboa. Sylvester Stallone, Cancer, with strong Sag in his chart, actually. Yep. I think he's in his mother's a Sag. Usually she's an they astrologer. are aspected by fire They're in some aspected way. aspected by fire, but there's a lot of water in them. It's so curious now that you mentioned that. I'm like, my mind is going to like all the big time, the really famous ones. And I've done their chart. I've looked at their charts and I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like that sensitivity. They had to learn how to defend their sensitivity when they were growing up in the hood. And then, you know, they became such great fighters because of it. And they're really just, and they're so close with their mothers. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) That's so funny. I never thought about that before. But, you know, back to the part of who you are subconsciously attracted to in relationship, if we're talking about romantic sexual relationships. Now, when I really dove into my chart wheel, long time ago and saw that Pisces rules my seventh house, it's really important that you do look at the sign that rules your seventh house because that's also connected with the either the opposite sex parent if you're attracted to the opposite sex or the same sex parent if you're attracted to the same sex and how your subconscious is programmed into being attracted to a certain sign or certain elements. My father is Taurus. Now, this has been a tumultuous attraction for me. And I noticed that what will happen is I will be attracted to a man who has Taurus, but it's not... It, Oh, the last one was Taurus son, yes. And his birthday is actually the day before Papa's. But that was the first. It's usually been more hidden further back for me. And I haven't I haven't been paying attention. I just will we'll ask the birth date and get the sun sign when I was younger. But then I learned that, oh, no, the subconscious is looking for Taurus in him. I mean, your father's Venus and Taurus. <laughs> Taurus, Venus rules his chart. 
<laughs> so it's like, okay. And a very significant boyfriend I had who I was still trying to get back together with when I met your father is Taurus rising and moon in Taurus. <laughs> oh, yeah. And a Pisces, which rules my seventh house. So like pay attention to those type of things because then you're understanding, you're really you're really becoming more aware of those aspects of that same sex parent or opposite sex parent that you're attracted to and how that's playing out. That's if you're attracted to that in a mate, you're going to have a lot more insight about yourself, your subconscious to heal that because those usually when you're attracted to, or if you didn't grow up with a father and you're attracted to men, but you had a brother or an uncle or a grandfather who played that masculine archetype for you, you're going to be attracted to their sign. Or if they're different signs, you're going to be attracted to those two different signs. Like my brother's an Aries. My father is a Taurus and I'm very much attracted to Aries Taurus. Those are karmic relationships for you. They're showing you parts of yourself that you need to accept and love and integrate within yourself to come to peace with, to come into forgiveness with, within yourself. And karmic relationships are not going to be really long lasting. They're going to be shorter. They're going to show you parts of yourself that you need to see, that you need to accept in order to come into this fuller, wholer, more whole state of being, of consciousness. And they're important for you to be aware of, of why, why, you know, people will ask me, Okay, well, you know, now that you've brought it to my attention, now I've been like looking at the last three boyfriends that I had. They're all Leo. And what's the sign of your father? My father's a Leo. And you have an older brother or a younger brother or brother at all. I do. And he's Leo rising and moon in Leo. So you're learning about your Leo or my North Node and my Midheaven are in Leo. That's a part of yourself that you need to learn to accept and love. Look at your patterns. And the sign that rules the seventh house in your chart is also going to help you with this subconscious healing. And then I would also say, and that's a really good point. Yeah. I, I really like that. I would also say um, when you're looking at your seventh house, really pay attention to what planets are in your seventh house. Totally. Um, and also asteroids. And asteroids for sure. Because those are important. We don't, emph- I have not emphasized the asteroids enough. You've gone there with the asteroids. Yes. I really haven't. And you've brought it to my attention. Yeah. I'm still learning about those, but they, they do. It's, it's interesting when you dive into uh, your zodiacal release, because that's really where the asteroids play a yeah. huge role. Um, and that's uh, premonitive astrology. So that that stuff is really interesting. But I haven't really dived enough into that to be super confident. I'm still learning just bit by bit. But as far as like basic planets and stuff, okay, so for example, if you have Neptune in your seventh house, that's a disillusionment well, around it's also a spiritual connection too. Sure. You need to if, have you need to have a deep spiritual are, connection in your relationship. If you are if you are not living in a state of ego, then then you will find that yeah. in, in a spiritual connection. Absolutely. Otherwise, yeah, you're definitely going to be the you're going to be looking at life through rose colored glasses mm-hmm. and you're going to be disillusioned in relationship. Yeah. And that's the Piscean thing. Yeah. And that's been my problem is that you can over romanticize. Mm-hmm. You can idealize yep. in relationships. And if you've got Neptune in your seventh house or and or Pisces ruling your seventh house, 
your young self, your child self in the first 10 years of your life may have idealized your relationship with the parent that you were attracted to. Mm-hmm. I did with my father. Mm-hmm. And note that. Yeah. Really take a strong note with that. Also, my father is Taurus rising. So remember, the opposite sign of your rising sign is what rules your seventh house. What rules my father's seventh house is Scorpio, and Pisces and Scorpio are trine. Yeah. So, and then, of course, he married my, you know, Nana, who's a Scorpio. And it so also, there's that strong connection there. It also applies to uh, relationships that are similar in nature. So, for example, business partnerships or oh, yeah. anything that is like relatable to a marriage. It really, that's all a partnership is, is a marriage of two people, sure. you know. And so when we deal with that sort of thing, it's different from if we're looking at, for example, the 11th house, which is friends yep. or third house, which is siblings. It's siblings like, and, and, you know, short term travel sure. and, and learning. It's it's this is more about like the your formation of relationships relationships between you and another and as many others as you happen to run into in your life it's going to be just a similar pattern for example i have mars in my seventh house so commonly a pattern that i have had when i've really been pursuing relationships um was i had a pattern of entering into a relationship thinking it was going to be really like perfect and then I would find some issue or something and I would want to break away. And so I would yep. I would find some conflict. I'd like create some but conflict. But you also have to share it. your Mars is in Libra. Yes, absolutely. In the seventh house. And Libra loves the romantic idea of relationships. But if it if Libra isn't supported in its ideas, Libra does not want to commit. Because it's an I, I would sign. find a, a big pattern is I would go in 120 mm-hmm. percent. I would put everything in in the very beginning, and then immediately the moment that there was some like disharmony, I'd be like, "All right, time to cut it off. Right. We're good." Like and like dramatically yeah. Yeah. cut it off and not speak to her anymore. Not even this is not even like romantic partnerships. This is friendships. Friendships too. too. This is like this yep. is all sorts of things. That's I your had pattern that, with I women. I had that pattern. Women and men. I did this did you with have that both with women men too? and men. Interesting. Absolutely. There were a lot of male friends that I just cut off. And sometimes I wouldn't even know why I did it. Okay. I just, it just was something that like, it felt like I just had to do it. And right. I didn't really know why. Right. Um, and honestly, what that boiled down to was it boiled down to uh, Mars and Libra being a a placement where you don't want to deal with conflict rather than dealing with conflict the whole thing behind mars and libra is that you subvert conflict you just leave it yeah so anytime anything would come up in that relationship because it's in my seventh house so this is how it manifests in relationships anything that something would come up in my relationship that i would have to confront like i'd have to be confrontational or it's not even really confrontational to most people just i'd have to voice an opinion that i felt like would be disharmonious to like Mm -hmm. the general vibe of things instead of doing that i would just be like it would foster discontent i would suppress it it would foster a resentment inside of me and that resentment would build and build and build until i'd just be like all right i just need to leave this all behind and then right. i just cut it off you know um and what's interesting is that that's a pattern that echoes outward too so sometimes people would do that to me as well and i oh, wouldn't sure. understand you see the mirror reflection and i wouldn't back. understand necessarily why that would happen right but i got it pretty quick and then what i learned from that was because I, I wasn't in like too many romantic partnerships. And mm-hmm. this only happened once in a romantic partnership where I, I was broken up with in that way. 
in the exact same way that I would do to other people. And once that happened to me, I was like, Oh, I see what's happening here. And so then I was like, I, and then I was just like, all right, let me just take a break. And then I had, I had a couple other lessons that were similar, but different at the same Mm -hmm. time where I I was like trying to learn sort of how to voice my discontentment because you can't be aggressive with Mars and Libra either, because anytime you're Mm -hmm. aggressive with Mars and Libra in the seventh house, I have learned this, uh, you are too aggressive and people think that you're like evil and they will like label you as being somebody not to be around. <laughs> so this is why I'm glad I picked a Mars and Gemini in the 10th house in this life. Cause I can, you know, my focus is work and career and reputation, but we just have a lot of fun with it. And sometimes we can be a real trickster, but what I wanted to share is it's so essential. And I shared this before, but I really want to emphasize this. It's really essential when you are analyzing your natal chart, when you're analyzing your your progressive chart, your transits, if you know how to do that, really be aware of what your inner child, who your inner child is attracted to, and the process of that, process of that, because it's going to build so much self-awareness so that you can then, you can see who you're attracted to, and you can make these very heart-based decisions. Like I'm doing online dating now and it's, I can see, like I showed you that, that one guy who sent me a message the other day and he's definitely an archetype. He's a blatant, ridiculous comic book caricature archetype of my father, brother, literally a priest who looked like freaking Friar Tuck, (laughs) bald head, looked just like my brother and he put his astral, he put his sun rising and moon, which is just a total combination of the two of them. And I was like laughing and I'm like, that's hilarious. Thank you for being so obvious. And that's, a, I mean, then that's a hard pass. That's a clear, absolutely not. This is a no. I am interested in the most loving aspects of my father and my brother. And you can see that. I'm also emphasizing friendship. So I know And just to touch on Mars being in the seventh house that flows with this, if you have the malefic planets, Saturn and Mars in your seventh house, house of partnerships, you know this is a life where you need to really love the hard aspects of yourself. If you have Saturn and or Mars and or if you have both, I'm so sorry. But if you have one or the that other. That would be so hard. Oh my gosh. But if you have one or the other in your seventh house, you, you know that you have some serious karmic lessons about how to relate with yourself and then how to mirror that out to others. And this is not going to be a life for you to have easy partnerships. Yeah, if, if you have Saturn... This is tough. If you have Saturn in the seventh house, then that's just... You probably, in an unconscious state, would feel like there's just obstacles in every turn, every relationship well, that you, you know, try to get I, into. I, I, have a, I have kind of a, I would say, a developing friendship um, with the man that I met in online dating. And it's just a, like, it's almost like a sibling connection. He has Saturn. Oh, he has Saturn <laughs> in, in the, the seventh, seventh house, house, really? Okay. With his Mercury. What's what sign? In Taurus. Oh, Saturn and Taurus. So in the he's seventh always house? having to clear his throat oh, all geez. the time and and everything. Yeah, and he's just having a really challenging time. Yeah, finding a woman, and he's already been through a marriage and a divorce and all of that. And 
Whenever I see anyone with Saturn or Mars in the seventh house, there's always a challenge with relationships, and it's about learning how to find peace. Those are within yourself. The malefic planets indicate a need to uh, be conscious. Totally. And so it's it's consciousness in those relationships is really what it's being searched for. Uh, Saturn is an interesting one. I haven't really, I haven't thought too much about what it would be like to have Saturn in the seventh house. I have because I've, I've had enough people that have come into my world that I've seen Saturn sure. sitting in the seventh house. But I mean, and there's no guarantee that if you have Venus in your seventh house, there's no guarantee that you're going to have a long-term relationship depending on the sign it oh, is or yeah, how no. it relates, what it's Venus aspected. Venus doesn't necessitate long-term re- or doesn't. short-term relationship. Uh, but it, it, just it, chari- It's just relationship charisma is what it that is, indicates. It is going to help. I have seen people with Venus in the seventh house who do have like this amazing relationship, um, amazing partnerships, very committed. But what I help people with and something that I'm focused on for myself is if you're looking at relationship in terms of the astrological aspects really focus on attracting someone who has a conjunction with their moon to your sun people who have really solid committed supportive relationships are going to have a sun moon conjunction aspect to you so my son is in Gemini. I'll do really well with a man who has his moon in Gemini, which is my father brother, actually. It's mentally stimulating. It's going to be endless conversation. We're never going to be bored with each other. My moon is in Capricorn. I'm going to do really well with a man who's got a son in Capricorn. They're well aspected. That's that that whole subconscious and, and present ego understanding and connection. Like an an ideal archetype for me would actually be the actor Jim Carrey, who's a sun in Capricorn and moon in in Gemini. And believe me, I've asked for it. I'm like, come on, (laughs) send a guy like that. But that would that would really help you. And also um, for like a dynamic passion. Find somebody where your rising signs are opposite to each other. I'm Virgo rising. I notice that I do attract men who have Pisces rising and we work really well together. It's a lot of fun. You want to emphasize the friendship because that's what's going to make it long lasting. There's going to be that emotional support, that mental support. That's going to help you so much. I've just noticed that people that I know of or clients who come to me who have a really strong partnership, I've, you know, my Virgo's taken notes on this, is they have a sun-moon conjunction and either an opposition or a trine in their rising signs. Yeah. I I noticed They didn't do that. it deliberately. No, exactly. It just happened to You might actually find that not only I would say not only sun moon conjunctions, I also see sun moon trines just as frequently. Yeah. So I have um I mean, I have a lot of friends where I'll have this sort of like there will be a sun-moon conjunction in Cancer for me and them. My moon's in Cancer. I'll have a lot of Cancer friends yeah. who then have a fire moon. Right. And that's really where a lot of the connection is, is yeah. in the fact that we both have, like, there's this ability to understand the emotionality. Yep. But then their fire gives my air something to, like, think Absolutely. about and do. You know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a fun combo. Totally. 
So that's when people will ask me, you know, like, well, what would be the best sign for me? No, what would be the best, like, zodiacal flow sure, for you? Also, this is something that I am always attracted to in men, and I've had to learn to accept this. I'm attracted to men who have a Mars placement that is square to my Mars. My Mars sure. is in Gemini, and I'm attracted to men who are Mars and Pisces. And that's karmic. Those it are is. karmic relationships. Totally. Actually, you've even said this before, but I've heard other astrologers say this too. When we look at Mars relationships, those are always karmic relationships. Yep. You're also going to have great sex. Sure, absolutely. <laughs> you've got square the, Mars. The, the intense, fiery passion usually comes from Mars. It does. Yeah. Totally. So yeah, that's that's what I would share with people when people say to me, you know, what's what's the best? You want to look at the whole charts mm-hmm. and you want to look at the flow and the dynamic flow. But I was trying to think, was there anything else I was going to add to this before we wrap this? Was there anything else that you wanted to add to this? No, I think we could we could go through every planet that's in the and how they respond to the seventh house. The thing that I was going to say about Venus in the seventh house yeah. is that uh, Venus in the seventh house, I feel like is such like a naturally charismatic placement for it because those are both, not only is that like technically a benefic house yeah. in Hellenistic astrology, but yeah. it's also a benefic planet. Yes, it is. So it's like you put those two things together, you've got charisma. You know, this is somebody yes. who is attractive to people, which means that it's not necessarily that they're set up for a relationship in this life. It just means there's a lot of opportunities for relationships for them of all different types, which means that there could potentially, if they're not aspected in maybe the most, not not best or worst, but if they're not aspected in like a long-term grounded way, this could be someone who has a lot of sex with a lot of different people, Yeah, you know? Or this could be somebody who's like super just wants the one and like goes through a lot of different people to get the one. If they got like a lot of Pisces in their chart, for example. That, I'm glad you brought that up because what I wanted to mention before we're done is also know your elements. The fire and the air elements are not committers. The water and the earth elements are committers. If you have a lot of water and earth in your chart, you're going to be more long-term commitment focused in this life. If you have a lot of fire and air elements in your chart, you're not a committed commitment focused person in this life. It's also about like getting out of the programming from the patriarchy, from the church of, oh, everything has to, you have to commit to one person. And it's about learning to accept what it is that you came into this life to learn about yourself. Not everyone is having a human experience to be committed to one person for life or to be committed to anybody. So it's about learning to accept your different personality flow. If you're in Aries, I would say Aries and Aries actually go really, really well together. Sure. They know how to give each other space. They know, like, I know a a couple of power couples that are both Aries and they take separate vacations. That really works for them and they're able to stay together longer. I also know another Aries-Aries coupling who actually have an open relationship and that works beautifully for them. I'm a Gemini. I've had lots of relationships in this life and I've had to learn to accept that instead of trying to make myself more like an earth or a water sign even though i have strong earth in my do chart have some strong earth so I do but there's there's the desire for that as well obviously there is but i'm so dominated by air and fire that i've had to learn to accept that this is not a life for me to have lifetime relationship 
This is a life for me to see myself reflected in multiple mirrors. And so I just wanted to add that learning to accept what your soul wants and what you, what you came into this life to learn about yourself may not be committed relationship to another long-term or even short-term. Maybe you're in this life to see yourself from multiple mirrors, or maybe this is a life like Nana and Papa of lifetime relationship. Thank you so much uh, to everyone who listened to this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, feel free to check us out on Instagram at One Long Conversation to get some updates on our future episodes, our future content. Um, you can also follow us on Patreon and become a member. We have a lot of interesting and awesome perks and uh, cool ways to connect with us and, and our community that we're forming there. So go over to Patreon uh, at One Long Conversation and you'll find us there. Um, we also have these episodes going out on YouTube now. So if you go to YouTube yet again at One Long Conversation, uh, you will find video versions of these episodes. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. We'll see you next time.